You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. It's one of those days. But welcome to episode 60 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. We broadcast on Middle Earth Network Radio as well as on the Star Wars Report website. Our episodes are also available on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. But enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the tried and true paint worn thin after many a battle on a clone commander's armor, the EU guru himself, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, all, and I guess having a chronologically minded person on this episode is going to be helpful. Um, because we're in a very uh, jumbled time that we're looking at this time around. Jumbled? Boy, that's putting it lightly. I mean, I, I was taking notes as we did this little foray here, and, uh, man, I just kept getting confused. I'm like, man, I, I might have to do this again down the road just to watch them in a chronological order to get the most out of this. Yeah, I'm actually I'm planning on at some point going through and watching them in chronological order. Um, I, I kind of want to wait until we get to the point where we have all seasons and the series is over, but I think the jumping around, except for one change this season, I think for the most part it's done. So I think it's actually possible now to do that, thanks to the uh, the ultimate visual guide updated and expanded, and the upcoming episode guide of the first five seasons coming from uh, Jason Fry and whatnot. So I'm kind of crossing my fingers that that's something we can actually pull off in the near future. Although, that'd be a heck of a marathon going there. 112 episodes worth, given that the film's four, and that's just for the five seasons. Who knows what's coming next? Speaking of... Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we look at Season 1 of the Clone Wars animated series. Note, this is not to be confused with the Gendy Clone Wars series that ran a few years earlier. This is the new THE Clone Wars taking place right now on Cartoon Network, as of right now. But consider this your spoiler warning, boys, girls, and fans of all ages, because here we go. That's right, and since we're taking a look at this kind of season by season, I guess it's only helpful to open this up with sort of a general sense of the chronological order of this stuff, just so we can get that out of the way first. I mean, this series had a limited number of assets to use to begin with, so as they were able to produce more characters, more backgrounds, more vehicles and whatnot, they're able to finally tell stories in, say, Season 2 or the first half of Season 3, that they couldn't have told back in Season 1. So they had some scripts and some concepts that kind of languished there until they got to that point, which meant that the first two and a half seasons of this show are somewhat out of chronological order. Fortunately, when we get to about the middle of Season 2, or excuse me, I guess the middle of Season 3, we do a time jump, and we move from basically being, um, by Leland Chi's reckoning, we have Ahsoka being about a year and a half to two years older. So we jump from the year following the Battle of Geonosis to probably the year leading up into Revenge of the Sith here. Basically what we have, at least as of right now, is that we start the Clone Wars cartoon series with the episode Cat and Mouse, which is not in this season, and then the hidden enemy, which is, followed by the Clone Wars film, 
which of course was four episodes essentially put together. Then we pick up again after the film with Clone Cadets, which is not in this season. Supply Lines, also not in this season. And then Ambush, Rising Malevolence, Shadow of Malevolence, and Destroy Malevolence, which were all on that A Galaxy Divided DVD release before the season came out. Then we have Rookies from the Clone Commandos DVD release before the season came out. Downfall of a Droid, Duel of the Droids, Bombad Jedi, Cloak of Darkness, Lair of Grievous, Dooku Captured, The Gungan General, Jedi Crash, Defenders of Peace, Trespass, Blue Shadow Virus, Mystery of a Thousand Moons, and then the Storm Over Ryloth, Innocence of Ryloth, and Liberty on Ryloth episodes that were also part of that Clone Commandos DVD before the season was released. But then we jump into the non-season one episodes, Holocron Heist, Cargo of Doom, Children of the Force, Bounty Hunters, The Zillow Beast, The Zillow Beast Strikes Back, Senate Spy, Landing at Point Rain, Weapons Factory, Legacy of Terror, Brain Invaders, Grievous Intrigue, The Deserter, Lightsaber Lost, Death Trap, R2 Come Home, Lethal Trackdown, Sphere of Influence, Arc Troopers, The Mandalore Plot, Voyage of Temptation, Duchess of Mandalore, Corruption, The Academy, Assassin, Evil Plans, and then finally, the season finale of Season 1, Hostage Crisis, followed by then the last episode before the time jump, Hunt for Zero. And when this series was wow. first being discussed uh, and first being produced, they weren't even sure about the order of the episodes in the first part of Season 1 because there was this idea that what we had was um, the original planned order being, I guess it was Ambush, and then it was the Downfall of a Droid, Duel of the Droids episodes, then the one centering around Newt Gunray, like Bombad Jedi, and then we had the Malevolence arc. And that's the way that the Clone Wars lightsaber duels video game was designed, and that's the way that the Wild Space novel was designed, with Downfall of a Droid and Duel of a Droid being, if not the first episode after the film, then at least Anakin's first adventure after the film. Which, of course, we know now isn't true, because now it's ambushed in the malevolent stuff, uh, then the downfall and Droogle, and then the stuff with uh, uh, Gunray and whatnot. So there's that whole twisting around of things there. Plus, you have the issue of how they apparently didn't make their plans known to those who were putting together some of these early projects, because we have the video game uh, Jedi Alliance, which features Zero the Hut free. Well, Zero the Hut isn't free until Hunt for Zero, and, and that whole storyline, uh, Evil Plans and Hunt for Zero, in which he dies. So it's we're in a situation... Exactly. So they wound up having to basically say, well, Jedi Alliance must take place during the film, but yeah, all those missions where you're Anakin or Ahsoka or Obi-Wan, since you can choose your characters, yeah, we're just assuming you chose someone else, because it can't be them, they're doing other stuff. And we had the Republic Heroes video game, which takes place in sort of a mopping-up operation on Ryloth, but also involves them dealing with Cad Bane, who they apparently seem to know. So there's all these angles, okay, where does that have to fit in uh, in relation to Holocron Heist and the stuff on Ryloth that we got at the end of Season 1? So the first two and a half seasons of this, including the spinoff materials, were really, really convoluted continuity-wise. And it's only now, with the visual guide, with Jason Fry's upcoming guide, and with those Chronicling the Clone Wars blog entries that Leland Chi is doing on the Star Wars blog, um, that we're actually getting any information on the order these are supposed to go in. So there are some hiccups along the way, um, and this is definitely not a chronological season that we are looking at here. But we are looking specifically at Season 1, and we'll deal with all those other oddballs that fit into Season 1 as we move into other seasons. And I just want to get the, the premise clear here, because this is a heck of a convoluted time 
even for those who've been following the EU for a while. Yeah, I suddenly feel like Sam Beckett with the Swiss cheese effect. I mean, it, it's so convoluted until you see like an actual list right in front of you with them all just in an order. It's it's just hard to wrap your mind around it. I mean, especially when you got the events going on inside these episodes. You know, you're just looking at the titles of. Uh, there's just so much to to absorb and comprehend. I could see why when it came to the original early Clone Wars stuff, Lucas was like, so hands off. And honestly, I think it was a mistake for him to let the EU even go there. Because, I mean, granted, there is that aspect of, well, you want to build up the hype, you want to get people interested in stuff. But there's that danger of ticking people off to the point where they're just like, well, this is so confusing, I don't even want to join in. I don't want to know about it. I mean, think about Firefly. That show was an awesome show. The producers pushed it out of order, and everyone was so confused, it died on the vine. And it's just like, man, what a gamble Lucas and Lucasfilm took with the strategy of how to go about this. I mean, it paid off. They were able to, and I mean, you watch season five right now, and, and it's just awesome. The graphics are great. The stories are great. The character modeling is great. Everything about it is phenomenal. But to see where, you know, going back and watching season one all in order, it's it's interesting to see how they planned going about it and how they were able to work the models and get things, you know, more and more of the the technology they needed, the, basically creating the world, as it were, and going from, you know, well, let's do this episode because we don't need much of the world in this one, and we'll build, like, three more models, and then we'll use those three models, and, and, and we'll go over here to the right side, and we'll fix another arc with a couple more new planets, and then we'll use some of the vegetation from that to make this, and, and you know, you watch as they add these elements to things, and it's really cool, you know, because when you're watching stuff, and all of a sudden there's a Jawa, you know, you're like, oh, there's a Jawa in the background there, Hondo's lair, you know, you get really excited about little things like that, and all it is is a model Model that was used in an earlier episode that now that they've got the model they're replicating it more and more i mean i would like to see uh i think it was nadar uh the the mon cal jedi i'd like to see more mon cal jedi you know there'd be a model i'd like to see them use again but it's definitely an interesting aspect of how they went about it it convoluted the heck out of things uh you know for people like nathan i'm sure it drove them up a wall because i'm not even as continuity focused as Nathan is when it comes to timelining stuff, but this is enough to make me go completely insane. Yeah, it really was confusing. Um, it got to a point, though, and I forget when this was. I want to say this was about a year before we got an official episode order, minus the one error with the Mandalorian episodes flipped around uh, in the, the visual guide. I got an email from Leland Chi that was basically, here's the order of the episodes that we have as of right now. But I couldn't do anything with it. I couldn't tell anyone about it. I couldn't acknowledge that I had it at the time. It was just a, check this out. This is, you know, for your peace of mind, basically. Yes, there is a plan. Um, you can probably notice if you go back to some of the stuff with, say, Republic Forces Radio Network, where there comes a time where I start to be much more calm about the order of these episodes being able to be worked out at some point, because they were. Uh, it was just a question of, you know, what could be said about it. So I was dealing with the confusion, and then it was the chomping at the bit to say something, but but being unable to. I mean, you're right as far as, it, it's weird that Lucas decided, hey, let's open up this era that was off-limits. Back during the Bantam era, this was an off-limits time period to tell any stories in. And then once they start going into the films, of course, we get the buildup of the Clone Wars through the novels, through the comics and such. They allow them to go there. Only for Lucas to turn around and say, well, actually, I'm going to go there, too. Which, you know, leads to a lot of head-scratching. You know, was he planning on doing this ahead of time? Was this something he just came up with? If he was always wanting to do this, why would he have ever let them go there in the first place? And now we have sort of the opposite. 
Whereas we had the EU going really in-depth with the Clone Wars, literally a month-by-month and sometimes a week-to-week setup of how the events played out, and now this is coming in and dropping a nuke on it continuity-wise. Um, even if we were to split it now after Dreadnoughts of Rendili with Anakin getting his scar, you can't go from the end of this series as it stands right now directly into what's left after that, at least not all of it, because uh, Adigalia is now dead, uh, and so she can't die in obsession. Uh, Asaz Ventress is no longer working for Dooku, so unless she goes back to him, her part in Obsession and other storylines can't make sense anymore after Dreadlots of Rendili. Um, so there's that level of what on earth are they going to do with this? And now, with the Clone Wars itself, the, the cartoon series, they are being insanely vague and relatively uh, short-viewed, I guess you could say, when it comes to their spinoffs. They had a short-lived single, um, like a regular comic book series, a single-issue comic series, and as that came out, um, you had a few things that were to tie in. They're kind of vague in their time frame, and that's it. One of them wound up being overwritten by itself when it was something that was a, a concept, that Slaves of the Republic arc. There was a concept meant for early on in the series. They weren't going to make it as a show, so he decided to make it as a comic, only for them to turn around and make it as a show back in Season 4 um, and have to change certain elements of it. So you got that aspect of it. They tried novels. They had Wild Space, which was continuity disaster because of... A, setting Anakin's knighting a month after the Clone Wars uh, begin, which basically sits them in a position where, you know, how is it all going to fit together? How are they going to cram all this other stuff into, like, a month or whatever? And, of course, it was running off of the original uh, planned order with Downfall of a Droid and Duel of a Droid first. And then, of course, they continued on with Stealth and Siege, but, of course, that was around the time that Karen Travis left writing Star Wars or had passed that along to Karen Miller. Um, until now, all that really is left, I mean, Secret Missions is over. Looks well, like the Decide Your Destiny stuff is pretty much over. About the only EU thing we have being produced about the Clone Wars cartoon series at this point is the digests. Those uh, digest-sized comics uh, like the Sith Hunters and such. They, they've been very vague with the time frame of a lot of these stories that they were producing tied into the Clone Wars. They, they produced web comics. They're not even doing that anymore. They did two web comics that were essentially independent stories. The first season, they did web comics that sometimes tried to make sense of the episodes. Because this was the season in which we had, uh, what was it? Uh, it was Dooku Captured that ends with Anakin and Obi-Wan being able to stop themselves from being drugged. <laughs> and then it begins the Gungan General, and they've been drugged! And they needed that little... Uh, web comic in between to explain how the little Kowakian lizard monkey was able to still knock them out, even though they weren't able to knock them out in the episode as seen. So they had to sometimes yeah. explain their own continuity flubs in the series by creating these web comics. I mean, it has been a completely uh, bizarre, scatterbrained process for these first seasons. It has gotten met very streamlined now, and I think the EU has said, screw it, we're not even going to try to mess with it. Because we know how we got steamrolled, and then our other stuff wound up being completely jumbled. Um, but it seems as though, at least in the early days of the Clone Wars, the right hand and the left hand had no idea what they were doing. And we wound up with even EU produced based on the Clone Wars cartoon series that couldn't be true to the cartoon series. See, I, I have a lot of issues with that from this time. I love the series, but I have a lot of issues with the way that it was handled early on to to kind of get that out there before we start talking individual episodes here.
Well, and it makes sense. I mean, because it's kind of disrespecting to what you've done before. I mean, the Gindy series is like, okay, the what series? Uh, Alpha Who? I mean, the fact that that they were worried about the whole R2, Anakin, Ahsoka. It's like, why did you bring in Ahsoka? You know, you already had R2 and Anakin and you had Alpha already. I mean, and I think that that as an EU fan, that's where it gets insulting because it's like, okay, we're going to we're going to pretend that this stuff exists when we want to make money off of it but hey when it comes time to be creative well we're just going to shove it off the side and we'll just take and pick and choose but you know that that's an issue for a different thing but i, I there are things like like the the drugging and like in the movie where uh twilight crashes on tatooine and all of a sudden you know we find out well the jawas repaired it and anakin gets it back when did this happen and as i was watching these episodes there was a lot of that there was a lot of these jumping arounds and then the, in the the beginning opener where you'd have the announcer talking about this and that and really cool stuff is going down and i'm like that's what i want to be watching i want, go back to that opening and, and give me more of how that how we got to there you know because the the jumping from is really kind of it's disappointing. It's like there, there could be, there's so much more potential between these stories now than, than what we're getting. And the EU, like you said, they're not going to go there because they know that the status quo is that this could do anything at any point. And if they're willing to walk all over Lucas's Gendy series with stuff, it's like, okay. And then they're not, you know, they're not even going to look around and they're going to walk over their own stuff as they go. That's a very frustrating way to come about it. And, and, you know, now we got episodes like the hidden enemy, which is the one where we have the uh, the clone that is a traitor amongst them. And it literally takes place right before the movie, which is just more episodes. I mean, the way they went about all of it, like, I remember thinking that the movie was going to be the kickoff of the show. Like, they were going to play the movie, and then we were going to get, uh, I believe they, they originally said we were going to get 1,022 minute episodes. And there'll be 22 a season. And so it was like, oh, wow, 1,000 episodes. That's going to be a lot, you know? And we got this movie that's going to kick it off. And then all of a sudden we start getting it. And the first two seasons are so out of whack. You're like, what in the is going on here? I don't even know. And from the overall standpoint, that is is the difficult aspect. I can sit down and enjoy these 22-minute episodes and, and love what I'm watching. I like them better when they play out two to three to four episodes as the arcs. That's even cooler. I, I really think they should have gone with less than the 22 episodes and gone with more of an hour uh, scenario with it and, and just gone gone full broke I mean because there are a lot of times where these episodes especially the first ones in the arcs could just be thrown away the only reason why they're there is to set up the awesome stuff that's going to come in the next couple but they kind of rehash it anyway because it's a 22 minute episode and they don't want you to be completely confused even though they're more than happy with confusing you going in but one thing I really wanted to talk about really quick before we get into it from the Gendy series to this was the addition of the fortune cookie the little blue you know a friend in need is a friend indeed and Whatever it is in there has a way of relating to the episode itself. Kind of, kind of reminds me of how in the EU, the novel, uh, the, the titles kind of have that effect. Like when you read a traitor, it's like, who is the traitor? It could play five different ways or what's the apocalypse now? Or, you know, who's betraying who? I liked how the fortune cookies play in that and how every week the fortune cookie kind of, it, it's wisdom all right there in a little candy coated shell. Yeah. The fortune cookies are decent. It sometimes they don't seem like they fit the episode. Uh, we kind of mock that a lot of times on Republic Forces when it doesn't fit at all. There's at least one that they've had to tweak. Uh, Shadow of Malevolence had easy as the path to wisdom for those not blinded by themselves, which was changed uh, for the Blu-ray and DVD release to easy as the path to wisdom for those not blinded by ego. Why change that? Um, and we do have the oddball ones every now and then, like we had the one with uh, Boba Fett where 
it's basically what was it? Uh, who my father was is not as important as blah blah blah. But it was actually from his point of view, whereas the rest of them were sort of like the general, you know, Confucius say kind of things. I don't know. It's it's an interesting way of doing it. Certainly, the idea of the opening crawl being gone and using the newsreel, I think, works well to get us into the action. As long as the opening crawl makes sense, I think there are too many people who tried to figure out the order of episodes in season one and two by looking at what video was being used in the crawl, not understanding that, okay, if they're reusing this battle sequence from this episode, it's probably because they just need a battle sequence, and they're not going to make one just for the three seconds we see it in that opening newsreel. They just grabbed it from somewhere to make it make sense with the idea that there's a battle going on. It's not, it's no indication of what happens when. Um, but yeah, so I think we're pretty, well, <laughs> clear on this idea that the production process of this show, in relation to the EU, both before, during, and presumably after, when they have to find a way to fit all this stuff together, if they're going to, that was a bit of a mess. It's part of why I'm kind of more of an advocate of saying that let's leave the old continuity the way the old continuity was, and let's make a continuity just out of the films, the Clone Wars, and the new films that are coming. Just have, have separate timelines and such. But yeah, I gotta it, go with that route of the, uh, it's a TV show for kids set in the New Jedi Order. So let's take a look then at some of the specific uh, episodes this time around. And I have to say, one thing that really kind of surprised me early on when watching this series on television was the choice of the premiere episode for this season. Because the premiere episode for season one is Ambush, which has Yoda uh, on the moon of, I believe it's Ragosa, where, I mean, it's basically him trying to prove himself to the Toydarian king, King Katunko, with Asajj Ventress there trying with her droids to stop him so that Toydaria will wind up aligning itself with the Separatists instead of aligning itself with the Republic. But to have that be the first episode and focus on Yoda with no Ahsoka, no Anakin, no Obi-Wan, very little Dooku, that really kind of surprised me. I mean, it's a solid episode, but to have that be the first of the season was one that left me kind of scratching my head at the time. Thankfully, if I remember correctly, it was one of those uh, two-episode nights, so it was that, but then we got the first part of the Malevolence arc afterwards, which gave us tons of Ahsoka and Obi-Wan and, and Anakin stuff. I remember when I was watching Am Ambush, it was interesting that, you know, you see the Republic establishing a Republic base on Tridaria, and so, you know, that sense of kind of like the beginning works of the Empire, because Palpatine's in charge at this point, so everything he's doing is laying the foundation of the Empire later. So it's cool how he uses these situations in that regard to kind of, you know, build future garrisons. Uh, but there's also a scene where Yoda, he's talking to the clones and he tells them that they can use the force to clear their minds. That's a, a concept that was also used in, was it the Cetus Deception, I believe it was, where uh, Kit Fisto is talking to Jango Tat and he tells him something similar. And, and that's a concept that I've always liked, you know, because midichlorians are supposedly in everything. And when Yoda's talking to Luke in episode five, he's talking about how even in the rock, in the ship, the force is. But these are not living things. Midichlorians can't be in them, yet the force is there and so you know there's that aspect of well we got the living force but you also have the unifying force and the, the every time there's a play on the fact that these guys could clear their minds and, and they can feel the force around them and tap into that you know there's the two aspects of well there's the, the living side so no they really shouldn't be able to but there's that unifying force side that the force is in everything so there's got to be a connection there somewhere which to me is how the whole uh the Vong kind of played in how even though they weren't in the force but they were throwing the thud bugs and stuff the jedi still managed to deflect them why because there's a unifying force 
but I, I like that those little things are kind of thrown in there in that aspect. You know, it's just a quick throw off comment by Yoda, but bam, there it is. But definitely feel like, you know, Yoda was the, the key play here. It was like, well, everybody knows who Yoda is. So let's put him in the first episode. All right. And I got to say, of course, that from a continuity standpoint, we did not realize at the time the importance of this, nor the fact that it was going to have one of its own web comics pretty much get steamrolled. Uh, there was a webcomic that went with this called Prelude, I believe it was, that supposedly tells how it is that Katunko winds up deciding to be willing to meet with Yoda, to go to Ragosa and meet with Yoda, only to wind up eventually we get that prequel episode to this episode, Supply Lines, where we find out not only is this somewhat tied into what's going on on Ryloth, which we think during season one is just something happening at the end of the season, but apparently it's happening all throughout the season with uh, Master I'm a Gun Die. Uh, he's gonna die. And, uh, and we also find, of course, that, uh, there is another reason other than what's in the comic. You know, it's the events of supply lines that get Katunko to be willing to meet with Yoda. And then, of course, we see an end to Katunko much later at the hands of Savage Opress. So, it's interesting how the series managed to connect these together as it's creating these episodes somewhat out of order. Though it would have been nice, again, continuity-wise, if the prelude comic had not wound up being steamrolled if it had been handled in some other way, unless there's multiple reasons why he's going to go meet with Yoda, et cetera, et cetera. So, again, that kind of leaves me scratching my head. But you got to wonder how much of a connection there was between the creative team of the show and the creative team behind the comics, the, the little web comics here. Obviously, you know, Dooku captured Gungan General. There must have been some to, to explain away that issue. Um, but certainly, it, it leaves some questions to be answered there. Of course, the next episode, the next trio, is... The Malevolence Trilogy. So we get our first super weapon in the series, which is kind of cool. And we get the uh, introduction of the Y-Wings into the series uh, in a, a heavy fashion. We again get to see some Starfighter action with these Delta 7 Bs, because they had to come up with some way for R2-D2 to be able to be in the Delta 7, given the fact that in Attack of the Clones, it was just basically the dome of an R2-D2 or a dome of an astromech attached to the ship. And we get more into the action here with Grievous and Anakin and Obi-Wan and Soak and all this kind of stuff. Um, though at this time, it's kind of funny that this was the biggest continuity uh, fear at the time, was the how many times can Grievous and Obi-Wan fight each other prior to <laughs> Grievous going out somewhat like a punk when they meet in Episode 3. I actually think that the, the number of times we see Grievous fight in the Clone Wars makes it more realistic for him to go out somewhat like a punk in Revenge of the Sith because it shows that most of the time he's not nearly as awesome as he was in the Gindy Tartakovsky series. Well, I, I can't remember which episode I've got in my notes here. He's totally the Cobra commander of the episodes. I mean, he's always running. He's always bailing one ship that's about to blow up and escaping at the last second, and they're literally just chasing him from one to the next to the next to the next. It's like, really? And Dooku's kind of like the Destro. I mean, he the same thing happens, just not as much. <laughs> like, really? One thing, though, that jumped out was in the beginning, they talk about the clone Starfleet, and that's something that you don't hear about that often, the clone Starfleet. They call it something else, typically. Usually they go with more naval terms. But I, I, that just jumped out at me right away. Uh, and I love the whole... Uh, Poe Kloon and Ahsoka, the way that their you know relationship was, I've always felt that those two should have been the ones that got partnered together. There's also some really cool plays with words. I mean, Dooku, he goes, you may fire when ready. I mean, we get we get classic lines like that. 
The other thing that I like, though, is that the different hairstyles of the clones. I mean, we start really getting to see that as the clones start taking off their helmets and stuff in this episode. I mean, granted, you kind of had that feel if you watched the movie going in first. You know, Rex had his little bleach blonde hair, sometimes shaved, sometimes not. You know, so there was some elements of that already going into it. Uh, but when Anakin, there's a, a part later where he's uh, chastising Ahsoka about the how she went about her protest. And it's kind of, it's funny how, you know, there's not much real training of Ahsoka going on. I mean, when I think about like, uh, books where when Obi-Wan is training with, with Qui-Gon and stuff like that, you know, it just doesn't quite line up. It's like, it's like she's already been trained and she's just going out with Anakin. And he's just kind of giving her the trial run of being a Jedi. I mean, it's like she's already got the tools, but she just now needs the life experience where it's, you know, it's like she automatically goes up against Ventress. She goes up against, uh, grievous and stuff and and i'm just like wow this kid's got some serious skill where did she learn this there's you never see her training and sparring with anakin or anything like that you just see these little points where he's just like well you, it's all about how you ask snipes if you ask differently you get what you want and yet meanwhile he's teaching her how to disobey the rules it's like wow this is just gonna this is a train wreck waiting to happen Another one that I like, though, is uh, Palpatine. He, he mentions clone intelligence for the first time. I think this is the first time in the series that we see anything about it. But I, that's something that I've always enjoyed because he's got his own aspect of clone intelligence. And if you've read the Karen Travis novels, you've kind of seen how that's played into things where they're the no arcs are kind of seeing what clone intelligence is bringing back. And some of them are part of it and they're hiding certain facts from Palpatine and they're kind of figuring out what's going on. So I love anytime Palpatine mentions his clone intelligence uh, group. But one thing I found was weird was that Anakin in this TV show of all other Anakin's, he reminds me more of Anakin in this show than even Hayden Christensen. Cause I don't know something about it. It's like in the films, he just was so whiny, but in the books, you kind of get the sense of who Anakin is. And this to me is kind of the Anakin. This is my Anakin. Now he is, he's officially become it for me. I mean, when I see the different Anakin's, this is the version of him that I enjoy the most, <laughs> which is weird for me to admit. I like the fact that we get a, uh, this, this introduces of course, the malevolence, which is this Providence class cruiser. And they're able to use that pretty, uh, pretty frequent. Well, I mean, I say pretty frequently. There's not a whole lot of stuff that actually jumps off of the Clone Wars cartoon series anyway. Um, but the video games make good use of that. We get the ship known as the Devastation, which is a sister ship to the Malevolence, uh, in the Jedi Alliance video game, which is taking place actually during, mostly during the events of the Clone Wars film, as I mentioned earlier. And we get uh, the Subjugator, and I believe the Providence, in Connect Star Wars in a battle taking place just before the full outbreak of the Clone Wars. So... It's kind of neat that they're able to pull these in. Uh, pretty much as soon as they introduce the the type of ship, you know, it's that question of, well, why don't they just build another one? If one of them gets destroyed, if it worked, why not just build another one? You know, except maybe for the cost. And, of course, in the EU, we now find that, yeah, they did. You know, there are other ones of this particular line of vessels. Maybe it's after seeing so many of them destroyed that they say, yeah, the cost probably isn't worth it anymore. Huh. You know, another thing I liked was the creepiness of watching as the droids casually and callously were killing the clones after the malevolence would destroy the ship and they were out there in their pods and stuff. I mean, there's a lot of little subtlety like that. You know, people talk about how dark and how mature the Clone Wars is. And there is a lot of that kind of death going on that is, if you're not paying attention, it's right there in front of you the whole time. But it, it was very creepy the way that they did that. You know, it's like, whoa. We also see a, a wolf before his injuries and he, he's wearing a regular uh, commander or, or officer's uniform instead of wearing his kit. Um, that was something I always thought was really kind of cool. And, of course, with the whole Commander Wolf thing, we actually have a chance to see where the comic 
can be used to fill in some gaps in the series because they were able to use the story in service of the Republic in that uh, it, what was an ongoing comic series, which of course got canceled since then, um, to tell the story of how he wound up losing his eye. Uh, it's the same story that gives us an introduction to Ozil and one of his promotions, uh, albeit one that they had to, again, go back and fix. Because in the original comics, he was promoted from one thing to another, and then, oops, sorry, he's already been promoted between those ranks, so, or something like that. So they did the uh, trade paperback version and fixed the wording so that he's now promoted from something else to something else. Um, it, ah. It's interesting how they've been able to use, uh, ironic, I guess, they're able to use the comic series to give us some continuity insight into Wolf that has not been contradicted and has actually been referenced before uh, by Dave Filoni as coming from the comics, but at the same time, make their own other continuity error that they then have to go back and fix when it's reprinted. Now, that's also the one that took place on the Snow World. I believe we've even got a Clone Wars version of Poe Kloon uh, wearing the same armor he was wearing in that comic. I have it up on my shelf. It's one of my favorite ones. And I, I find it funny because it's like technically that's an EU figure, and yet it was totally sold like an action figure from the TV line. It's like, huh, that's not – that wasn't in the TV show. What the heck? This is true. They at least have a, uh, a lot of different scenarios to draw from. Having picked up that ultimate action figure collection – or whatever it was called that Steve Sansweet put out, they will find a way to make a figure out of just about anything. The sheer number of variants in there and, and different oddball uh, action figures kind of always left me laughing as I flipped <laughs> through it. Real quick, before we jump from the Malevolence arc, one of the things about the Y-Wings that originally ticked me off was how they looked so different. But then when I stopped and I thought about the fact that come the, the episode uh, 4, 5, and 6 era, you know, they're, they're stripped down versions of what we see in the Clone Wars era. And then I was like, okay, that makes sense. I can get behind that. Uh, and there was also another aspect of when we watch the Malevolence, after it knocks with the ion weapon, it disables the ships, and it starts using all the turbo lasers, that ship reminded me of Malik's uh, old Sith cruiser so much when it was blowing up Terrace. It was just one of those things that just totally jumped to my mind when that happened. Um, the next, of course, story we get in this season is... Rookies, And, of course, this introduces us, at least we thought, <laughs> introduces us to Domino Squad, of course, uh, including Fives and the others that we, are, are, that we know so well at this point. Uh, but, of course, this group is going to get an origin story in Clone Cadets in a future season and wind up seeing some of the characters become art troopers until finally we have one Fives uh, left as we move along into some of the later seasons here. You know, one of the things about rookies that I love the most is on the radio, there's like this song in the background. There's a lot of little things like this that occasionally there'll be a really cool song playing on their quote unquote radios in the back. Hondo has a few episodes like that where there's some really cool music playing. But the one in the background of this one, I absolutely love it. I wish I could find that one somewhere out there. It also for, you know, timeline for us point of view, this was the first intro that we get of Fives, Echo, Heavy and Cutter, who we later see in the uh, Clone Cadets. Yes, the Clone Cadets episode, which is also another fun one. I actually, I like these guys' little story and how, you know, it later ends up becoming a bigger story. Kind of reminded me how uh, a Joker squad and the Mandalorian arc in Legacy kind of took its own things. Like, here you got a one-shot, there you got a one-shot, there you got a one-shot and oh, hey, wait, they all fit together. Yeah, I would not have expected to see these characters back again but they wound up being something that actually repeated out of the episode. Alongside those, of course, clone commandos that are introduced in that one, uh, we actually get some clones that we can follow. And it's just like Rex, really, in some respects, in that you know, any of these new characters they introduce, whether we're talking about Domino Squad, or we're talking about uh, Rex, or Ahsoka, 
uh, Savage oppressed later on and such. It's a question of, uh, I guess, the fates of these characters. Because we know that there are certain characters who can't die because they show up later. Commander Cody cannot die, for instance. So it takes away some of the uh, uh, the sense of danger, the sense of tension in any scene where he's in danger at all, because we know he's going to survive. Very much like, really, that you can make that argument with any prequel-type story. If you know what's coming later, you know who's going to be around. But they're introducing characters here that we will grow to really like throughout the course of the series, so that later their fates can have an emotional impact, so that later their fates uh, can be something that adds drama to the series. Like with the whole thing right now, there's the question of, you know, is this possibly a Jedi who knew too much and whatnot? Are they leading towards how Ahsoka will eventually leave the series. You know, we had the Darth Maul arc that managed to clear the decks pretty much by taking out a whole <laughs> bunch of characters and the Twilight ship um, all in the span of, you know, a few weeks. So I'm kind of sitting back wondering, you know, are there other characters that we have seen who are still being built in the background to be ones to play into maybe a future season? Because it seems like we're finally starting to see a lot of these characters being that were introduced back in season one, season two, having their stories draw to a close in many respects. Like, most of Domino Squad is gone at this point. Um, but at least at this point, it's kind of cool to go back and see where these characters came from. And it's almost like with from the Star Wars Library, that video series that I do, where I'm going back and, want, and uh, reading the old Marvel stuff, where you see where certain things emerge. Like, the first time we meet Lumaya, the first time that we wind up meeting Shira before she becomes Lumaya, the first time that we meet Knife and the Nagai. We have no idea that these are going to build into something more and didn't really have an expectation in the Marvel era that we'd have a whole lot of continuity and build up of storylines in the series, especially once David Michelini, the only one who seemed to have been doing it, left, uh, and we weren't quite sure what was going on with the unknown quantity of Mary Jo Duffy. It's kind of the same things with the Clone Wars here. As much as it was messing with other, uh, with other continuity, I'm not sure how much we really thought in season one where so little seems to affect other episodes um, from one episode to the next in season one, how one arc kind of happens, and then the next one sort of resets it back to normal. Um, it kind of made me wonder how much we were actually going to get a building of storylines in this series. And now, it turns out, we've had a lot of them, uh, and some really, really good ones. But I'm not sure that we would have recognized it back when watching season one. Very much like, say, watching season one of Babylon 5, when the threads are being laid out, not realizing they will become knots later on. Probably not. I mean, there was, there was so much. Like I said, I, I still feel like Sam Beckett. Uh, there's also, there's a quick reference that Rex makes with Cody about, uh, Jabrim, which I thought was a cool little throwback to the Dark Horse comics, you know, I mean, I, I don't know for sure if that's actually what they were referencing, but it definitely made me think of that, and I thought that was a cool little thing there. Rex also says, I'm always first, and then he goes all Battlefront with a third person style there. I, I really like the battles. I mean, okay, yeah, that you're watching Star Wars, watching Clone Wars, and so, of course, the wars better be pretty epic. And they really are, and I, I really like that aspect of it. Um, you know, when Heavy he makes his sacrifice in this one, it's kind of like you, you saw it was going to come. You know, you're like, oh, boy, here we go. But one other thing that I, I, I find interesting was that Rex, he kind of establishes that it's not the 501st, it's the 501st. And I always called it the 501st. That was one of those things that I was like, oh. I never thought about that. But it's like, so do I go with what Rex says now and I always say it's the 501st or can we still say it's the 501st? <laughs> you know, it's one of those things like you never know until somebody runs with it. I think you can probably say it both ways. I mean, I've seen it, you know, both ways in, you know, EU stuff. It's just, of course, that this is the TV series. Um, the next storyline is we're kind of 
zipping along, realizing that we're, we're, we spent a lot of time talking about the, the, the issues with the beginning of the series. Um, we have Downfall of a Droid and Duel of the Droid. Kind of cool, we get to see uh, R2-D2 get essentially kidnapped, droid-napped, and uh, the introduction of essentially a traitor droid with Goldie, or a spy droid with Goldie. Um, this is kind of a nice episode by itself. You know, it's kind of cool to see uh, Grievous and Ahsoka fight briefly in this uh, pair of episodes. Of course, you know, if she had managed to defeat him, that would have been a big issue for fans. Um, but, you know, they play it out realistically where she essentially has to run away and such. Uh, this, though, began the the trend as I think Jerry, uh, is it Jerry or Dan on Republic Forces, uh, began referring to it as being Ganocted. We had Ganocked get created for this episode, and like many characters created for individual story arcs, as soon as that arc is over, um, for many of the characters, especially in season one and two, they just get killed. And ah, the one and it. done. Yeah, the one and done type of thing, or the one story arc and done. Yeah, you know, and then we also start seeing more of the uh, later models. I mean, this one we get R3, later we'll start getting R6s, R7s, you know, and I've complained about this in the past because technically most of those models weren't there. I'm going to retcon it and just say it's a serial number. <laughs> but, you know, this is one of those ones where the first episode, the uh, the downfall of the droid, I, I felt like that one could have just been tossed out. Like, the only purpose I felt like that was really doing was just establishing where we were going to go in the next episode. Uh, you know, it, it was just one of those things where we see Anakin kind of really show, you know, his obsession. We watch Obi-Wan be kind of a jerk, you know, Anakin, he's a dime a dozen. It's like, whoa, but I didn't wipe the droid's memory. What? I mean, that was classic. You know, you get that moment of wait a minute here, because in the EU, we see that, you know, when it, the astromech droids, they have like a, a security thing where if you get inside them, it'll wipe their mind. And I was questioning that when we get to duel of the droids because R2 is like totally taken apart. They've got him open up and they're looking at all the stuff inside. I'm like, wait a minute. Isn't that something that's not supposed to happen unless he gets like a military upgrade later that allows for that, that what we see in the EU or it's just something that we lose along the way. But it was cool watching when R2 actually starts putting himself back together. I mean, it was like kind of cobbled together at one point but his, his head's still a little off and his legs are off and the little spider arms come out and he starts putting back together it's like nice he can not only fix 3po and other droids he can fix himself what a great droid of course he gets that great that great ending essentially battle uh up there uh in the atmosphere which is pretty cool you know and of course that's when ahsoka gets her follow me boys jump down uh which is one of those iconic moments i guess for the character in season one we then get Another of these uh, multi-episode arcs, in this case, uh, about three episodes all kind of connected together. We get Bombad Jedi, where we find ourselves uh, dealing basically with uh, Anaconda Far, who's going to become a, a, a further character uh, on the planet Rhodia. And we see the capture of Newt Gunray through some bumbling of Jar Jar, uh, who, of course, is is played out here in kind of a... A goofy comedic way like it usually is, although I think it works better for a cartoon series than it does for live-action movies, so I actually like Jar Jar in this series most of the time, except when he's voiced by someone other than Ahmed Best. Oh, that um, drove me nuts! But he, uh, um, we see uh, Gunray get captured, of course, on Rhodia there in Bombad Jedi. We get Cloak of Darkness that brings Luminara unduly into it, kind of presaging Ahsoka being friends with Barriss Ophi later on as Asajj Ventress and, a close, of course, uh, Captain Argaius of the Senate Guard winds up being a traitor, and we see the freeing of Newt Gunray, so he can, of course, play a role in later stories like Revenge of the Sith. 
and eventually the trail of Gunray leads them to the so-called Lair of Grievous on Vasek, where we wind up seeing Nadar Veb, we see a Jedi starting to go dark in terms of his motivations, we see Kit Fisto lose his uh, friend-slash-former Padawan, and uh, the thing that really threw people for a loop, we get a, essentially an alternate explanation for why Grievous is what he is. The idea that he he purposely is augmenting himself because he's trying to be able to be more like these Jedi, as opposed to it being a matter of him being set up and then injured. Now, of course, they found a way to retcon and bring these two together where some of the upgrades are on his choice. Some of them are based on, you know, the, the setup where he got blown up in the shuttle and whatnot. But uh, that was another of these continuity moments that kind of freaked people out. But a, a good series of three episodes there. Yeah, that was a creepy set. I mean, when that was playing out, I was like, ooh, where are we going to go with this? When, when you see Grievous's lair and the fact that Dooku sold him out, I was like, what a great base that he had. And you just sold him out. You punk. I mean, total punked him on that. And we watched the uh, the aspect of how Ahsoka, you know, she kind of goes up against him, like I was saying, where she goes toe-to-toe. There's a, a moment there where she's got the clones and she says, he's just another tinny, boys. Let's scrap him like the rest and takes off after him. <laughs> I love that fact. Like, she's not taking him as, as any threat, which, of course, you know, kind of plays to her age. Like, you know, she's kind of young and not really thinking this through. I mean, this guy's gone up against venerated masters and taken them down. And yet she actually holds her own. I mean, that, that again gets back in that aspect of how much training is she getting in lightsaber combat and stuff, or is she just a natural talented, you know, saber fighter? Because she seriously seems to have some talent when she goes up against other lightsaber welding enemies. This is true. And of course, we'll see more of the whole, uh, uh, Ventress and Ahsoka thing as time goes on. And of course, we're going to see that, I believe sometime in the near future with that masked Ventress showing up again in this, uh, final arc of season five that we're hey, did watching you notice- right now. Did you notice also that during uh, the Lair one, it kind of seemed like there was like a Jedi tag going on. Like, you know, they were following Newt Gunray. It was uh, uh, Aaliyah, or no, not Aaliyah. It was uh, Luminara and uh, uh, it was Ahsoka. And they were chasing him. And then it kind of like, he, he went off that direction. They're like, oh, oh, hey, Kipisto, you're over in that quadrant. Why don't you take him next? You know, it's kind of like, there's just one other group of Jedi just picked up the trail kind of thing. It was, it, it seemed like there was that overall department of Jedi business kind of going about, you know, <laughs> well, don't worry. We got somebody over in that corner. They'll take it. You guys just stay where you're at. You guys focus on over here. We got this covered. Yeah. It kind of gives the MacGuffin for, for these different stories set in different places to wind up having at least something in common that allows them to, to be considered one bigger arc, I suppose. Um, then of course we get Dooku captured and the Gungan general. And despite all the bumbling, of course, that we get uh, with Jar Jar, with, I believe, a different voice actor in this one, in uh, the second part, the Gungan General, we have Dooku and Obi-Wan and Anakin all captured by pirates, which turn out to be Hondo Onaka's band based on Flora. Uh, and we, we see them uh, on Vancor, at least briefly, uh, early on in the episode. So it's kind of cool to see these characters uh, introduced, of course, especially Hondo Onaka is going to be such a big, big character with his bombastic personality in the series. But again, the continuity guy in me is shaking my head because they put out a webcomic called Bait for the beginning of this. And in Bait, basically, Anakin is allowing himself to get caught so that Obi-Wan can follow. Uh, But then the episode's beginning completely blows that out of the water. It's like, okay, if you're making this ba- the comic based on the episode, then why didn't you make it, you know, match the episode? Because the opening of the episode refers to Anakin having, quote, gone missing 
and Obi-Wan going to find him as at his last known location, rather than this being a planned infiltration of the Separatist ship, which was revealed in Bait. Uh, Anakin's also annoyed about not having his weapon to go after Dooku, to which Obi-Wan explains that not having it made his capture convincing. Well, that's kind of hard to reconcile with Bait, but of course in Bait, he has a lightsaber that gets damaged when he's captured, rather than it being him going in without a lightsaber. So you have to just assume that maybe it's a spare or a decoy or something like that, and Obi-Wan's got his real one. It just, I don't know. That It's like they couldn't figure out how to handle these web comics. Sometimes they use it to fix their own mistakes. Other times it's creating more mistakes than it was solving. I'm, I'm not surprised they eventually got rid of the web comics, at least got rid of the web comics that were direct connections to the episodes themselves, so they yeah. didn't run into those same issues again, you know, about setting an operation and whatnot. At least those went off in their own directions. You didn't have to worry about contradictions arising immediately with the stuff they're meant to complement. Well, even those still brought Ventress in and stuff. But yeah, it was almost like they had too much going on. One thing, though, about Dooku Capture that I thought was funny was the fact that Hondo was able to do it in the first place. And when Anakin and Obi-Wan show up, they're like, hey, you managed to get him. And he's like, he put up quite a fight. Blow his sword. Vroom, vroom. <laughs> I mean, Hondo is funny. He's one of the, the funnier characters. And, and I don't want to sound like a hater of Jar Jar, but I really, unlike you, Nathan, I dislike him more in the cartoon show than I even do in the movies. I can tolerate them in the movies, but in the cartoon show, I'm like, literally, Padme, are you like the dumbest woman on Earth in the entire galaxy, the entire planetary system in existence? You constantly bring Representative Binks everywhere, and he's bungling everything, and yet everybody wants to put him in charge of all these these critical missions. Like, come on. I can, I can understand Palpatine wanting to, to foul things up. Like, hey, let's just throw Jar Jar there. He can't possibly be inept. You know, one real thing uh, that, that perplexed the heck out of me, and I'm glad you're here, Nathan. Hondo mentions that Dooku is a Sith Lord. Well, Dooku tells him he's a Sith Lord, and then Hondo goes out of his way to mention it in front of the Council, the High Jedi Council, and Chancellor Palpatine. Now, there's this whole aspect of who Darth Tyrannus is, and only Boba Fett knows him. And it's like, why create the name Darth Tyrannus to never use it again? Dooku is being known flat out as Dooku the Sith Lord, and yet no one's going like, well, they know who Darth Maul is, but nobody's going, who's Darth Tyrannus? We know that Jango Fett was picked up by a guy named Tyrannus. We know of a Darth Tyrannus. Like, there's no, no one's trying to figure out who Darth Tyrannus is, and that kind of bothers me, especially when the aspect of now they're flat out saying, okay, well, Dooku's a Sith Lord. Now everybody openly knows Dooku's a Sith Lord, but no one's questioning who Tyrannus is. And yet there was a point about the fact that even Boba Fett knew that Dooku was Tyrannus, and he was bought off by Palpatine to stay quiet about that fact. And so it's one of those things that, that constantly perplexes me. And the fact that Hondo said it to Chancellor Palpatine and Yoda, Mace, Obi-Wan, and all them, and it didn't raise any bells. It definitely raised bells in me. And it was one of those things. I it, Did that, does that ever, you ever think about that, ponder that ever? It's, it kind of feels like the same thing as the, how do people ever find out that uh, Luke and Leia are the children of Darth Vader? You know, that it's mentioned a few times in passing that they don't want it to be known. And then all of a sudden it's like it's common knowledge. And it doesn't seem as though that, you know, with the different creative teams who are putting together stories with that plot line or plot thread in it, that there's a lot of coordination on that. It seems like the same kind of thing. Ah, uh, well, that makes sense. And that, of course, brings us into uh, another two-part episode. We had Jedi Crash and Defenders of Peace. And this is one, of course, that features Ayla Secura. We find out that apparently Twi'leks are French um, and that Ayla Secura has a ghetto booty, as the joke always went. Um 
we get to see her, we get to see a, a brief reference from her to uh, Quinlan Boss, which I thought was pretty cool. Of course, they wind up crashing on Meridun. We get to see Ahsoka in action trying to protect Anakin rather than the other way around. Though, of course, this introduces two interesting new elements. It introduces, of course, Loke Durd and his defoliator weapon. Loke Durd would come back in other storylines, such as the Clone Wars Gambit story, um, but not in the series. The defoliator would come back when uh, it's used by the Separatists against the Night Sisters on Dathomir, which I thought was pretty cool to see that back much later on. But of course, this is on the planet Meridun. And we had just seen Meridun in the pages of Empire, and oh wait! Yeah, no mention of the Amanan at all. Instead, we have something that looks like a diminutive, um, kind of weird cross between the Amanan, who do the whole rolling thing, um, and a pacifist group of uh, uh, fuzzy little creatures with the Lerman, who fortunately, at least later, um, they talked about, you know, how they were essentially um, uh, travelers and such, as opposed to being natives of Meridun. But again, it's one of those things where you kind of scratch your head, like, why would you use a pre-existing planet with a pre-existing species, but not use that species and instead introduce something that looks kind of like a bizarre, rolled-up, kind of odd version of that, like that uses some of the features of those creatures and not the actual creatures themselves, especially when it was a Lucas creation. The Amanin were Lucas's creation for uh, Return of the Jedi, and yet... Now nah, let's go with something else. Kind of like Felucia, where they say, let's not use the Felucians, let's use this other weird-looking ones in the Bounty Hunters episode. Well, that's just the, the nature of the beast. When George will ride over his own things, everybody can. I mean, gotta love that. You know, you're, you're right. The fact that the Lerman, you know, they had that whole rolling and spinning thing, and there's another group of them out there that they didn't use. That, that I just constantly never, ever understood those type of, of Lucas-isms, as it were. Uh, another thing, though, that I thought was funny was, how the neutral space aspect of the, this is neutral space. Like you guys are real idiots. I mean, there, there was a whole, I, I don't know, Aboriginal aspect of this where these guys were totally out of touch with what's going on outside their planet. I mean, you know, so what you're in neutral space, anybody that shows up with a bigger gun, you guys are such pacifists. You're going to let them walk all over you. Even the episode, by the time it's over and we see, you know, Anakin and them, they, they put up that shield. They're managed to save the, the weapon from defoliating everything. And yet still, pop a little lemur guy is like oh you guys are bad it's like and and yet i'm even questioning was he right i mean should he have just died and stuck to his beliefs because now they've got the garrison on the planet i mean it's one of those things that that, that the main fact of this is that it puts that issue that other planets in the galaxy were going through that do we let the republic in do we let the separatists in do we stay neutral can we stay neutral and honestly, I don't think you can. I think it's impossible to stay neutral when war is happening and war is coming. And that was the point that Anakin was trying to make. You can stay neutral, but we're going to stand up for you because that's what we do. And we're not just going to sit here and let you guys die for your rights, which we're more than let, more than happy to let you go ahead and, you know, exercise those rights all day long, but we're not going to let you be taken out for it. Yeah, it's one of those episodes where it felt as though the message or the moral of the story was being really, really hammered on. I mean, I think we were supposed to be meant to have those kinds of, of deeper thoughts like you were just expressing there. But certainly the Lerman come across as kind of a... But you expect them to, fi to finish making their pitch about pacifism, smile at the camera, have a ping as the light glints off one of their teeth, and then have the, the more you know thing playing in the background, <laughs> right? And I guess at this point, we need to call this episode quits because we're really getting long on time. But that, of course, means that you guys get a bonus episode this time around as we will be continuing our discussion on Season 1 in an episode to be released alongside this one. And we'll pick up with Season 2 in the next regularly scheduled episode.
That's right. Remember, you can find our show at www.starwarsreport.com as well as on our Facebook page, iTunes, Zune, and airing on Middle Earth Network Radio. If you like our show, be sure to drop us a review on iTunes or the Zune Marketplace or just fire off an email. You can email us at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. And be sure to interact with us on Facebook and Twitter at SWBeyondFilms. So once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan, the chronologically frustrated. <laughs> He's chronologically constipated. Saying thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that they'll ever actually figure out how this fits in with all the comics and novels. Or that when we do season two, we can fit it all into one episode. Okay, if you're saying anything, I can't hear you. It would always help to unmute the microphone. <laughs> okay, good. So it wasn't my end. I was like, oh, no. Okay. No, that's just me being a. Oh, and that was such a smooth transition on my part too. <laughs>